Today on the Topping Show, Matt Walsh's hacker reveals details, Bud Light sales fall yet again, Walmart spins off yet another direct-to-consumer company, Lyft and Whole Foods initiate layoffs, come-and-go convenience chain is sold, Larry Elder throws his name into the presidential race, GOP to host their debate in California, and Trader Joe's has their first California-based unionized store. All of that and much, much more on the Topping Show. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. Today's episode of The Topic Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-add reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their owner at least twice a day, quite say, quite a handsome and brilliant gentleman. He's me, that's the joke. Now, if you're a business owner or an IT leader, use a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going into the business part of the podcast, you have Walmart selling off yet another one of their direct-to-consumer brands. This is in light of them, just as recently as a couple days ago, selling their men's premium clothing brand by the name of Badambos, which is an online-based clothing company for menswear. So they bought off that thinking they would get higher gross margin because luxury items usually have more margin and profit. And they spun that off. And then earlier this year, they sold off Moose Jaw, which... Is not a drink or beverage as some might think or a really interesting canadian cologne perhaps nevertheless the actual company moose jaw is a sporting goods company similar to dick's sporting goods which with a lot of online expertise with their e-commerce they also had physical stores throughout the u.s and walmart spun off that company as well so it's interestingly enough walmart continues the theme of getting rid of most of these assets where I don't think they were happy with the return on investment. And it was a good way to attempt to diversify Walmart's portfolio and their business approach. But overall, it just you see a lot of these companies, the pendulum going back and forth between diverse, diversifying the company's assets and their business approach. And then you have the other companies, the pendulum comes back. They, they'll just really want to focus on what's the core competency of Walmart. It's big volume sales and affordable, affordability. So. Think of it like McDonald's, very similar. Low price point, but massive volume means you get the profits to help the company grow, develop, and expand. Traditionally speaking, that was the biggest value of Walmart. You go there, you get the cheap, affordable items. And by the way, they also have a very diverse range of products, including a sporting goods section. They have clothing, as well as the traditional staples that you would need. Staples, not only the physical staples for your office, but they would also have staples in terms of food that you would need, and then produce, and then all the other supplies that you need in life, basically. Now, Eloki is a brand that they recently sold, and that is a, it's a really big brand, pun somewhat intended. It is a clothing company meant for larger folks, uh, particularly, I believe, female was their main audience. Now, they sold it for an undisclosed sum, but they purchased it for $100 million back in 2018. So there's a lot of folks that are skeptical. Did they really get a return on investment from a $100 million clothing company no one even, the average person on the street, anecdotally speaking, talking to friends and family, none of them had even heard of that brand, yet alone knew that they was associated with Walmart. Needless to say, if it was making a profit, I would guess that they would not diverse or sell it off. That's a big reason a lot of these companies get rid of these acquisitions after a couple of years, because it doesn't fit the main core competency of the company, as well as it doesn't actually make them money. 
And as we see, the hyper 40 year high inflation, you have unemployment rising, you have major companies bleeding talent in terms of massive layoffs from every large company you could possibly think of. They're not just looking to reduce headcount, which is a large expense as well, but they're also looking at what assets do they not need or what assets are losing them money. In this case, you're probably going to see Walmart divest even more of these similar direct consumer brands, which aren't directly helping bolster the brand and the major thing of Walmart, as well as the Walmart.com e-commerce platform that they currently have. Now, it'll be interesting to see how that develops as Walmart continues to try to be the number one retailer, as well as grocery store. You have Kroger investing a lot in information technology services, including massive, quite impressive fleets of robots to actually help sort the food, very similar to the Amazon warehouses, where you're having grocery stores with warehouses of hundreds of robots, and they'll take the food, they'll go on this grid like a chessboard, and they'll drop the food into the actual containers. The containers will then go to the trucks, and then will be delivered to the consumers. Another fascinating thing about retail, which is always evolving and always trying to see which company is going to best help and really cherish the customer and provide their needs so that they will continue to shop there. Now, sad other news in terms of other retail news, you have Whole Foods reducing their headcount. Now, granted, this is mainly for the corporate office. The layoffs correlate to about 0.5% rather of the total workforce. Now, there's over 100,000 roles overall. And it's interesting to see Whole Foods being a more traditionally premium brand in terms of you don't go there for the cheap prices. You go there for usually for the diverse number of products as well as the premium higher end products and even they are starting to bleed off or there's unfortunately having to lay off employees to deal with this economic turmoil you also have lyft which has a long history of trying to compete with uber uber being the number one ride sharing app and company and lyft is going to have to lay off about 1200 employees and their main justification which quite believable is they're attempting to cut costs to remain competitive against uber which is the finer pound gorilla in the room and has a majority of the market share when it comes to ride-sharing apps. Now, the HSC, Lyft has been a big number two competitor for years. I still believe the stock, in terms of which one's more valuable on paper, Uber's 5x or 10x, it's an astronomically, it's an astronomical difference in the valuation of the companies, and as well as when it comes to the sales. But you both have companies with leadership changes, maybe they'll bring some new perspectives into the, the companies and maybe they'll be able to compete and maybe someday overtake Uber. You never know. That's the fascinating, but fascinating thing about businesses. There's always change. Never forget the businesses behind me. If you're listening to the podcast just online, behind me are some of my favorite companies in history. You have you know, Blockbuster, Toys R Us, and all those companies at the time, during their peak, they thought they were unparalleled. Famously, Blockbuster laughed at Netflix when they offered to sell Netflix to Blockbuster for a mere $50 million. Netflix is now the number one streaming platform worth literally billions. Needless to say, Blockbuster turned down the deal of a lifetime. That's a whole fascinating business story in and of itself. I probably will do a dedicated podcast to and YouTube review sometime in the future. Now, other interesting business news, which I also find a little sad, you have Come and Go, the gas station company being sold. Longtime family gas chain is K-U-M, spelled Come and Go. They're a family-owned convenience store started by William Krauss and Tony S. Gentle, based in Des Moines, Iowa, in 1959. They operate about 400 stores in 13 states and have 5,000 employees. Someone from that comes from the Midwest, one of the nicest places I ever shopped in terms of every time you go there, you have a 
a lot of things people, every gas station should have, very few do, but you have clean, both the interior of the gas station when you're going around looking for snacks, as well as the restrooms. You also have employees who are actually smile, which is a foreign concept to some folks in certain parts of the country. To actually have a proud, exuberant, happy employee is a rare thing. And it was a great experience. I always like to shop there and it's a proud, it was one of those proud, it's a pride of Iowa where they do have some of the, they have a lot of great companies that are based there. And that's probably one of the most popular ones. Now you have Salt Lake City based company called Maverick. They're going to be the ones purchasing the come and go franchise or rather not franchise, but the business and have the president of the Maverick entity, Chuck Magnet. M-A-G-G-L-E-L-E-T, Maglet. Now he noted, quote, we have long admired the come and go brand. Kyle and the Tanner generations before him have built an exceptional business that pairs quality with convenience and puts people first, unquote, which is exceptionally true. That's one of the best reasons to buy the company. Not only physically they're attractive, but they also have a great culture and they take care of the customers. Most important thing, especially in retail where you're seeing them face to face. Now we have Kyle Krauss, which is the CEO as well as a family member of the Krauss Group, which is a parent company behind many brands, including the Come and Go brand. And he said that, quote, Come and Go has always been driven to desire to innovate, grow, and serve our customers, our communities, and our people. Maverick has built its business in the same way and is ideally positioned to lead the next chapter of growth for Come and Go. We have much in common and I look forward to welcoming Chuck's leadership, his team, and Maverick to the Des Moines which have always been the home of the Krauss Group and important for our future, unquote. And the transaction officially will be inked perhaps in a couple months. There's a little speculation on when it'll actually go through. And we still, I did a little research on a couple articles. I didn't see an actual fiscal amount. But it'll be interesting to see, could that brand become nationwide? Some of the biggest competitors you see in terms of convenience stores, 7-Eleven is probably the biggest one, U.S. headquarters over in Irving, Texas. And... You have also, especially expanding in the South, you have QT, which is another big one, as well as Racetrack as two gas stations that provide a clean, comfortable experience. So the industry is especially competitive these days. And you also have the whole fascinating thing of the EV trend where these gas stations might start to put more and more EV stations to see if they can actually capture that market share of folks who are traveling, who have EVs, they wanna charge their cars. And of course, one of the most important things with any convenience store is the actual inside of the store where you're selling the concessions and the foods. They'll make a lot of money per gallon on the gasoline. The state and the federal government make a fair amount of taxes on that, especially if you live in Pennsylvania, which last time I checked was the number one tax per gallon. But they make a little bit, make a couple cents on the gas, which helps in the aggregate, meaning over time and over volume, they make a profit. But what makes the stores actually profitable is the convenience aspect of it. You got the snacks, the foods, the drinks, what have you. So it's especially important, again, to have that be a inside, inside the stores be a clean, actually a wholesome experience. And Bucky's, of course, another great Texas-based company. They're up and coming as well and expanding exponentially. It'll be fascinating to see who wins the convenience store war as they continue to revolve and evolve in the retail revolutions. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, which another fascinating cultural thing is the Coors Bud, rather, Bud Light situation in which Bud Light famously hired the trans activist Dylan Mulvaney to celebrate Dylan's 365 day of being a woman where Dylan had a can or commemorative cam, uh, can with Dylan's face on it. Now, there's been massive backlash. Some of the people are comparing this to New Coke when Coca-Cola decided that they were gonna kill the original 
the century-old recipe in light of a new, more aggressive, bold flavoring, which they called New Coke, which epically failed. It was massive, massive backlash. You have people writing the CEO of Coca-Cola saying, I've had this drink my whole life for you know 80 years, and you took that away from me by changing the formula. Needless to say, that's why when you go to the store, you see Coca-Cola is marked Coca-Cola Classic. It's the classic recipe because they had that marking snafu. Will this be worse? Well, time will tell. Now, as we're starting to see the sales figures come to the light, we're seeing Coors being one of the ones coming in terms of the biggest increase of sales as Bud Light has a decrease in sales week after week. Now, there's a fascinating article on brewbot.com, and specifically, they noted some data trends, specifically the week of April 1st and April 8th. Now, Bud Light had the marketing decision with Dylan Mulvaney April 1st, which many speculated was a joke. It was not. It was a they paid a lot of money for that those pictures of Dylan with a can, which all the power to Dylan. Imagine making a hundred grand off a picture that takes seconds to do. Interesting. Now, the week ending in April 1st, you had Bud Light off-prem dollar sales down by about 1.6%, with volume sales negative 6.4%, and dollar share negative 0.7%. Flip that, or go past the future rather, to the week ending of April 8th. You have Bud Light off-prem dollar sales negative 7%. So about a 7x decrease. You also have sale volume sales decrease of negative 10.7%, dollar share negative 3.7%. That same week ending in April 8th, compared to the two most well-known competitors to Anheuser-Busch, InBev, but which is owned by Bud, or Bud Light is a part of, you have Coors. Coors off-prem dollar sales increased by 10.7%. Volume increased 5.5%, dollar share plus 1.5%. You also have the Miller Beer Company, and Miller's off-prem dollar sales for that week were positive 16.9%. So think about that. Bud Light, negative 7. Miller, plus about 17%, which is astronomically huge. You also have Miller's volume increase by 11.7% and dollar share by positive 2.3%. This may very, very well be the first time in business history where conservatives are making a dent in a boycott. Historically, if you look at me, nearly every situation, there's a couple of tweets, conservatives get up in ruffles, but they don't actually execute their plan, which is the, to their detriment which is why they need more folks to help organize, organize them. And this is also a very unique situation where it is one of the most easiest products on the planet to boycott, not just because it tastes like piss water, some might say. I wouldn't say that, but some might say. But the competition not only is close, it's inches away at the supermarket or wherever you buy your alcoholic beverages. You have Coors Light and Miller Light, and those drinks are right next to them on the store shelves. You have other product categories in the past where people try to boycott, let's say, Disney because they don't agree with the sexual themes they're putting in their children programs, which is a fascinating thing. I don't know why a business would do, but that's something they decide to do. Now, in that case, you have maybe four to five different streaming platforms, but Disney owns most of the intellectual property when it comes to child happiness and video media. Think of all the childhood movies, video games, or not video games, but movies, cartoons, Disney has that in their vault. Famously, they have their Disney vault, which they release old classics. So it's hard to boycott that because they own all the intellectual property. 
And there's some other folks that are starting to compete in terms of they're making their own kids' cartoons. You have conservative-based or conservative-leaning company, The Daily Wire, based out of Tennessee. They started a, they're going to invest, I believe, their CEO, co-CEO, Jeremy Boring, said they're going to invest about $100 million in the next 10 years on children programming. So there's starting to be more competition. But historically, it was harder for some families to boycott Disney because they have all the intellectual property. And your kid's going to want to see The Lion King or whatever IP or in Star Wars, which is a cult in and of itself. Fascinating and a fascinating business case in terms of how much money they print. But it's one of those things where that's much more difficult for a family to boycott as opposed to beer, which I'm sure a beer connoisseur could tell the difference between a Bud Light or a Miller Light or all those things. I've been more of a fan of spirits myself when the occasion calls for it, but it's one of those things where I'm gonna say the average person probably says they taste about the same. And more importantly, the choices are right there. You only have to make a trip to a separate store, which is yet another reason from a business perspective, why, why oh why would you choose to make this product a decisive or political thing when this particular topic with the endorsement of or spokesmanship of Dil Mulvaney is a very political thing is falls we talk to folks you traditionally have people on the right who are opposing that partially because dylan markets towards children if you look at who follows dylan on twitter is i think the average age is about 15. and so you have conservatives traditionally are boycotting it and liberals are embracing it so this is a topic very much falling into traditional political ideological lines which the united states is about 50 50 split just why presidential elections are usually so close. Now, you took a product, which I would say more conservatives drink than liberals, I would guess on average, which is why the boycotts has actually has some hops to it or legs to it, pun somewhat intended. But of all the categories I would think you would want to get political, I would think beer is something you would not want to. Needless to say, it turns out this use case is going to be something people will write about for years. And again, it's a publicly traded company. We'll know even more details during their quarterly results, which of course, if you're publicly traded, you have to let the world know how you're doing. So your shareholders can know. And there's a lot of speculation of, oh, the stock's going up and down. It's, is it really having an effect? Well, part of the fascinating thing about stock price is part of it is just public perception. It's not only specifically based on the fiscal performance of the company. Otherwise, Tesla would be worth nothing throughout the years. A lot of the money Behind Tesla was not just the car sales, but it's also the intellectual property. You have the data that they're gathering from all the vehicles that they have. And they have a lot of people who just believe in Elon Musk's long-term vision, and they look at his track record of turning companies around and making them profitable. So it's not just the zeros and ones of the financial results, but which is why a lot of people are speculating that's why the price is increasing for InBev and Heiser-Busch. Time will tell long-term how it turns out. Now, other interesting cultural news, which is also cybersecurity concerned to say the least, it's Matt Walsh, hacker, reveals some of the details in an interview with Wired.com. Now, this hacker revealed that he has Matt Walsh's tax records, which is one of the most sensitive pieces of information you have about a person, not just because it has their social security number on there, which is how you get credit cards and all the, everything in life, basically, in the United States, but you also have their income, you have who pays them, which it's not too surprising. He's a employee of the Daily Wire parent, which behind that is the parent company known as Bent Key Ventures. But that's not too surprising. We also have this hacker revealing that he had direct messages 
and they're just going to reveal them with Ben Shapiro, who's one of Matt Walsh's bosses, as well as Steven Crowder, who's a political commentator. Now, the source revealed that someone close to Matt had to turn against Matt in order for this to happen. I'm not too surprised because one of the biggest threats when it comes to IT security, cybersecurity, is the human, not only just a human error, but the insider threat. Who inside the company is either willfully ignorant or perhaps not maliciously ignorant, they just accidentally make a mistake, they click on a malicious link, it takes them to a wrong website or releases malware, they make an honest mistake which they trigger with their company computer, company cell phone, or perhaps in this case you have social engineering where you had someone inside the company where they didn't like Matt but they knew a lot about him and through social engineering you can get a lot of answers in terms of what is this person's security questions for perhaps their phone provider. In this case, it turns out to be a SIM clone, being the little SIM card you see you put into your phone. It's about the size of the pin little chip you see on a credit card in the United States these days. Now, the hacker is named Doomed, and Doomed claims that his goal was to stir up controversy and sow chaos on Twitter, in which certainly achieved that goal. And I wanna clarify something when it comes to hackers. An overwhelming majority of hackers are just very enthusiastic tech folks who they want to see how these things work because to a lot of folks technology is like magic it turns out it works great but there is a whole world behind that behind the scenes that make things work and it's also almost like a puzzle for a lot of them because i want to see how can we get around this particular security protocol how could we break in so there's a lot of ethical hackers out there so they're not all bad and many of them actually are employed in terms of businesses will hire them so they can find the vulnerability first before the malicious actors can break in and cause actual havoc. So I wanna throw that out there. Most hackers are good and they just wanna see how things work. In this case, this turns out to be more of a malicious hacker. He says he was just trying to sow chaos. It's hard not to think it wasn't politically motivated, especially because Matt Walsh is a political figure. He doesn't hold office, but his main topic when he has his podcast, he has a YouTube channel, for now, he's getting demonetized and he's leaving. But it's one of those things where every most of his topics are politically charged. That's usually what he's covering, social issues, political issues. So to go after him just randomly, I, I don't really buy that. Now, in terms of the SIM swapping, the technique usually involves spoofing the hacker's phone number in a way that allows the hacker to intercept text messages in order to circumvent protections like two-factor authentication. But again, Doom reportedly told Cameron, the Wired interviewer, that he had help from the insider. Now, Doom also claimed that he gained access to Walsh's Google and Microsoft Cloud accounts and claimed that he, although a claim he couldn't independently verify, but he did send a copy of Matt Walsh's W-2. Now, if you dive deeper in the article, he actually had other screenshots that show that he was in the midst of compromising Matt's accounts, and he's able to circumvent a lot of things. And a couple of things he's able to show as well, in the midst of compromising Matt Walsh's account, triggering authentication request received on the SIM swap device, attacks Walsh could have prevented by using an authentication app instead of receiving security codes via SMS, which, yes, I wholesomely agree in terms of there's even free ones out there. You have Google Authenticator that you can download from the Google store. There are alternative alternative options out there that are much better than a text message. Although, again, text message is better than nothing. And when it comes to ID security, it's all about putting up walls and barriers, basically making it 
more difficult than not so that if a hacker comes across you that it has malicious intent or a nation state or a foreign government or whatever have you they just see there's enough barriers that you are not an attractive easy target or it's not an easy way to make money they're going to move on to some uh, someone else such as another company that they're going after what have you now it'll be interesting to see how this turns out and here's just a, probably one of the biggest breaches i've heard in a while and hopefully daily wire and all the folks there have some security awareness training and they double or triple, triple their investment. I, again, I don't know their security protocols, what kind of software they're using or training protocols or, or what have you, but this is just a really, thankfully it doesn't seem like anyone was hurt from the situation. I don't know, hopefully his identity isn't stolen for credit cards and what have you, but it, it should be an eye-opening experience for not just Matt, but everyone in terms of make sure you're doing dual factor authentication for everything. Make sure you're keeping your passwords secure, make your passwords as complicated as, as possible. Don't use simple words. It's one of those things where IT security, especially security, cybersecurity, it protects everyone and everyone needs to see what kind of a profound, in this case, negative impact it could have on your life if you're not very careful. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Larry Elder launching his 2024 presidential bid for the conservative GOP party. He's a conservative talk show host out of California. He was the one that, during an attempt to recall Gavin Newsom in 2021, they received the most votes of any candidate seeking to succeed Newsom, though the attempt did, did fail, and people in California kept Newsom in office because he's doing a good job, according to them. And Larry did know that he comes from a military family, and during a recent interview on Fox News with host Tucker Carlson, Larry Elder noted, quote, I'm the only one who didn't serve, and I don't feel good about that. I have a moral, religious, and patriotic duty to give back to the country that's been so good to my family and me. So that's part of the inspiration of why he's joining, trying to become president. Now, the GOP is not quite like, I believe it was 2016, when they had about 11 or 15 candidates in the primary, which is good. More options, the better, of course, which is another reason to Americans, if you look at statistically how many people vote in primaries, Republicans really don't do much which is why it's easy for one candidate to steamroll over the others because there's a relatively small sample size of who's voting during the primaries which is the only reason to no matter what you do in life i always tell people you should research and be involved in politics because politics is going to be involved in you as the show shows it's in your business it's in your culture it's in your daily life though there was a time where the federal government was so small it didn't have effect on hardly anything which is why a lot of people probably didn't want to be into politics it just didn't matter at the time too much Nevertheless, it's now an active part of everything. Now, him, Larry Elder, throwing his hat in the ring, he's now joining a couple of folks, including Trump. You have Nikki Haley, which some call Diet Hillary. You have Vivek Ramaswamy, who's a pharmaceutical entrepreneur. He's also one of the youngest, I believe, on the sheet. He's about, I believe, 36. He has written a couple of good books that I admire. You also have Asa Hutchinson. So the number of contenders are increasing. It'll be interesting to see when these debates first start, which ones rise to the top. Speaking of... You have the GOP announcing where the location will be for their second presidential debate. Now, oddly enough, it's going to be in California for reasons. It'll take place at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi, California, which I know he is perhaps one of the most prolifically, positively known Republican presidents in history. And he did a lot of great things, especially when it comes to fiscal responsibility in terms of decreasing the government, decreasing the taxes, which 
while folks appreciated. And this was announced by GOG Chair Ronna McDaniel, who somehow she still has her job. I don't, it's almost astonishing. Imagine if a Super Bowl coach or an NFL coach lost a Super Bowl. They get to the Super Bowl every year, but they lose again and again and again and again. But there's no negative consequences. And I keep coming back to this because the GOP can win. It's not, it's one of those things where it's not unfathomable, but they manage to shoot themselves in the foot and fall on the fall over themselves again and again and again, which is why I'm one of those folks where I am a big t- proponent of bringing in new talent and giving people new opportunities when the current incumbent fail. Now, during the 2020 midterm election, Republicans were supposed to have a red wave, and part of her job is to execute that game plan. She's the leader of the GOP. She's the chair. They failed so epically. Instead of a red wave, it was a red drizzle. They barely won the House of Representatives, a majority in there, and they failed in the Senate. And historically speaking, usually whoever's the current president, Republican or Democrat, the other side does better during the midterms. So because of how epic, because of how poorly Republicans did, it also made Biden look good because in terms of his perspective, he was an influence on the outcome. And historically speaking, it's been decades since Democrats had done so well during a midterm when they also had the presidency. That in and of itself, I believe, should have been a reason to fire her, put her in a different role. She might be a good person. I don't know. I don't know hardly anything about her personality. I've heard a couple speeches, but you're not achieving the outcome that you want or that you're supposed to want, yet they are giving her a free pass or it it boggles my mind. And also, why the location? It is a useless thing to do in terms of the GOP spending any amount of time greater than a tenth of a second in California. You're not going to win that state. Why bring an audience there? It makes no sense. Put it in a purple state where you might have a chance of flipping it. It makes no sense. And Republicans aren't alone in this situation. Democrats have done similar initiatives. I, I think both sides should campaign more in states that are friendly to them or places where they think they could win over a greater, greater audience by showing more attention to that state and getting in front of their prospective voters. And I believe the DNC is holding their big convention. That's going to be in Chicago, which is the heart of the Democratic Party in terms of all the initiatives and laws they want are already there in Chicago. And for about 90 years, it's been controlled by Democrats, so it's in their backyard. It's their place. It's It makes sense to have, you're going to spend a lot of money on security. Nevertheless, it's a Democratic state, so it makes sense to have it there. For Republicans to have it in California is a waste of time, a waste of resources. I'm not even a political expert and analyst. I just, I read and I know enough to know, don't waste your time there. California, it, the last time California was red, I believe, was Ron, Ronald Reagan was president, which is a, a lifetime ago. And it boggles my mind that there's over 3 million Republican registered Republicans in California, which if you if they would just move to the purple states, the U.S. would be, it would almost be a lock-in. I mean, it'd be almost a guaranteed win, but they like paying a disproportionate amount of taxes, I guess. Granted, the weather is darn near perfect sometimes, and I've been there, and there are places where it's quite beautiful, 
physically speaking in terms of the atmosphere and the environment. But again, why would they hold the second presidential debate there? Now, the first debate, give them credit, they're going to have that in Milwaukee in August, which that makes sense. That state goes back and forth. If there are some people who are independent voters or on the fence, giving them some attention and showing that you're showing up, which is one of the most important things to do, that makes sense. That's a good call. But to put it in California, I know the, I know Ronald Reagan's library is there. And you want to use that emotional rhetoric to call back to what he stood for. But you need to bring out, again, go focus more on winning independent voters in those states that could realistically be flipped into your advantage. Now, that is that might be a political blunder. But next, we have the business blunder of the day. Now, another interesting story about California, you have Trader Joe's. They have their first union in California. Now, it is specifically at 727 College Avenue in Oakland. And the vote came down to Trader Joe's employees voting 73 in favor and 53 not in favor of becoming a unionized store. And this is one of the situations where it doesn't decrease the cost to the consumer. And more often than not, I don't see it increasing the value or the experience to the consumer. And it's one of those situations where I believe if your average person, if you treat an employee with dignity, with dignity, respect, you give them a career path and you show that it can be a long-term positive relationship, there's no need for a union. And I look at the best products in the world and some of the most innovative companies on the planet, they don't have unions. I don't think that's a coincidence. The most reliable car in history is a Toyota. They don't break. If you go on Top Gear, watch any automotive forum, or you have all these fun torture tests where they try to beat the crap out of the vehicle, a Toyota will hit a million miles and last decades. And it's partially because you have Japanese engineering, Japanese culture. You also have Kaizen, where it's very much a, the overall intent, actually, what is it called? I have it on the shelf over here. The Toyota Way is on my shelf. I need to read that shortly. But nevertheless, you have a situation where everyone has a common goal. You're working together. It's a cohesive team. And it's not much of a rivalry. And when it comes to union, you now have a third party at the union reps. It, when it, pretty much when I talk to business leaders and when I'm talking to other folks anecdotally, and when I'm reading articles about these situations, it's more of a combative experience when you think that there's the folks that think it's a zero-sum game. Either the business winning or is winning or the employer employee is winning. They don't, a lot of them don't see a win-win scenario. And again, in this situation, you have one of the most expensive places in the United States is California. The cost to living is ast cost to live there is astronomically high. One of my friends jokes in IT, you have to make at least a quarter million dollars in, San in uh, Silicon Valley just to afford an apartment, maybe just one room, which is, again, one of those issues with supply and demand. They don't allow new development, which is, it allows them to have those cute buildings, which is a, from a historical preservation fact, I admire in terms of it has that nice aesthetic and it preserves the city, but because you're restricting supply artificially with government laws, you are also going to increase the cost, just supply and demand, economics 101, some might would say. But this is going to increase the cost of consumers and people are already hurting. And part of me thinks Trader Joe's is maybe in this instance didn't treat the employees in a certain light or maybe the employees weren't educated enough to see the advantages of not having a union, but it's going to increase the cost of goods sold 
And I don't see it increasing the customer experience because again, one of the benefits if you're part of a union is it's darn near impossible to get fired. And some might say performance be damned. It makes it very much difficult to lay off low performing employees. Again, it's not 100% bad. I just see a lot of disadvantages, especially in this situation. So needless to say, that is the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I can't thank you enough. Also appreciate your feedback in the comments as we make the show better and better. Don't forget to, if you wanna see more content like this, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone to stay safe and fight the good fight.